0: All right, praise God. Come on, somebody look to the person next to you and say, I'm so happy to see you today. Praise God. What a worship, amen. I love that last song with my heart, my hands, and my love wide open for Jesus. Amen. Anybody here today open for God to touch your life? Open for God to really move in your heart? Open for God to minister to you. Come on, we just you lift your hands right where you're sitting. Just lift your hands as we just cultivate the presence of God in this place today. Dear Heavenly Father, we just we just thank you and we look to you, Father God, as the author of life. We look to you as the author and the finisher of our faith. We talked about it last week, God, that we won't grow weary in well-doing. But Lord, our prayer today is that last song states, God, that our hearts, our hands, our love would be wide open for you. That it be open for everything you want to do in our hearts and lives. Holy Spirit, even now, as I just sense you're working in somebody's heart today, Father. I just even now sense in my spirit that some bondages are being broken. And God, some people are saying right now, you're saying, God, I want you. I, my, my heart, my life is just wide open to you, Jesus. I sense that in my heart right now. The Holy Spirit, touch them. Keep on working in them. Let your word not return void to your people, Father God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're starting a new series today, church. I'm pretty excited about it. I was so excited about it, I kind of made a little slideshow for you guys. Because I want to talk about some things, amen. I want to talk over the next few weeks on a series I've entitled, Unchanging God." One thing in life that you can count on is that things change. Where's my first picture? Could you put my first picture up? Man, you were the man back in the early 90s, late 80s when you had one of these bad boys. Let's look like at the Scarface type of cell phone. But then, then came this next one. Put that next one. Look at this one. anybody ever had that Nokia phone? Oh, yes. Everyone had that little phone. It took forever. That was before even text message was real big. It took forever. I had to hit the number three times. Y'all kids today don't know how good you got it. We had to hit three times for the letter J. It wasn't right. But then, but then church, then something else happened. And when this came, when the Moto Razor came out, oh my goodness, you had to have the Razor. You would sell your firstborn for the Razor. Remember the commercial, it would come shooting out of the sky with lightning and it would pierce the ground and just, it was the Razor by Motorola. The last good thing Motorola ever did, amen. And then, and then after, after the Razor, my goodness, everybody knew that T-Mobile sidekick. (laughs) Flipping keyboards left and right. You were excited about your sidekick. They had about 30 versions of this one. And then, and then next came the T-Mobile G1, the first all touchscreen cell phone with a sliding keyboard, and we thought we were on top of the world. We had arrived when the G1 came out, and then all the businessmen wanted to get this corny phone next, the BlackBerry. Oh, BlackBerry went under, man. They had a song down in, in, in Dominican Republic, Dame Bibi Bing. I'm like, what is that song about? Oh, the BBM, you know, Blackberry. We don't have Blackberry in America no more. It's big down in third world. But then, and then came, then came the first original. What happened was God saw how bad the cell phones were and he touched the heart of Steve Jobs. And he said, listen, Steve, I want you to make this heaven sent touch phone. Where's all my iOS users in the building? Amen. Amen. Notice there will be no Android on my slideshow. I don't serve the devil. Amen. I serve Jesus in this church. You can boo me. That's all right. And then nowadays, we got this watch phone thing going on. Like, this wasn't good enough. You have to be like, hey, what time are you coming over? All types of technology. Back in the late 80s, early 90s, you were big if you had the next one. Put that up for me. You had a boom box. My... Thank God for technology. You look like this walking down the street. Come on, show me that next one. Where's the next one at? Did you freeze on? Look at this. That's how some of y'all look walking down Bridgeport streets. That's a quechallenda right there. That's like, Lord, what were we thinking? But then, but then, hold on, hold on. You knew. You had arrived. When you got your cassette, little Walkman. When you were the man, when you had your little, you were in school with your, remember the little headphones with the metal thing in the middle and the real cheap little headphones and they would bend and they would get all messed up, but you, you love those things. And then, come on, hit me with it. You missed my CD player. You messed up my slideshow. Where's my CD player at? I had a CD Walkman. I remember when I went to Bastic, I went every morning with my little Walkman. It was like I couldn't live without my Walkman. And I didn't even know what I was listening to because I didn't even know how to sing good. I didn't even know who was hot with the artists. I didn't know who was like the best rappers. None of that stuff because I never listened to that music. I was sitting to listen to like some hill songs in my thing, like walking like I was bad. And then, and then God came down again through Steve Jobs, amen, and he made the family of iPods. And our life was never, ever the same. Yo, things change, people things change. Come on, put that next picture up for me. Man, VCR. You remember the days of Hollywood video and Blockbuster? You would beg, make it a Blockbuster night. Redbox came out and killed everybody. You can't beat a dollar. I didn't get a picture of it, but did anybody have one of those DVD and VCR combos? It was like Magnavox was was like in denial that VCR was no longer you know even valid, and they were going to keep on making them. We're going to put them both, we have a double-decker. I mean, let me see that videotape. Do y'all remember the struggle of trying to rewind one of those things when the tape came out? You had to get a little pencil. Listen, some of you young people don't know the struggle of having to rewind a videotape by hand. Remember, it would get stuck inside the VCR, and you would have to open it up, and you would unwind that bad boy. Can I get a witness in the building today? But then, what came out next was DVD, and the world has never been the same. MP3 is taking over now. Come on, what I got next up there? What I got next? Do y'all remember all the ex-gang members, Janet, I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah, I had one of those right here. You know what I'm talking about? We got ex bangers in the bed. Jesus could change anybody. Everybody had. And you had every color to match every time. Remember the Air Force Ones? You had to get like every single kind color of colored laces to put on your Air Force Ones. Sticking newspapers and triple socks in your feet so you wouldn't wrinkle your Air Force Ones. Man, things, somebody say, things change. Let me see that next picture. You remember this? When like, you put so many butterflies in our kid's head, it looked like your daughter was about to fly away. <laughs> butterfly kisses at night. It was just like the butterfly bonanza. Every little kid had butterflies in their head. It was gigapets and butterflies. Man, some of the stupid fads we had. What else we got over there? Oh, my God. I think Michelle still got these. Th- this is a picture of Michelle's earrings. Every ghetto jewelry store in Bridgeport, and every stand in Trumbull Mall had these ratchet earrings. These disg- if you don't, if you ladies don't know what I'm talking about, like Pastor, I don't know. You, God delivered you. They had earrings bigger than their ears. Remember when the hoops were cool, and you were just walking and you swinging your hair, and then you got all your hair stuck in the earring. Like, your hair was as big as a hammock. Your earrings, it was crazy. It's just all the stupid fads we had. Come on, show me the next picture. Oh, my goodness. Back in the day, we couldn't have our jeans baggy enough. I got a story. One day, when I finally started working and making a little money, I didn't know how to act. And I would just sit there and buy clothes, buy clothes. And I wanted this Sean John outfit from, from Macy's, I think it was. And I went over to Macy's and spent like $400 on this jean Sean John outfit. And I thought I was the man. I have my Tim's on. I had my little Sean John with the you know, collar popped up because that's how cool people do it. If you wasn't popping your collar, you wasn't nothing. I'm just sorry. And so, anyways, like I was saying, you know, I had these jeans, and one day, a couple of months ago, we went to play football. And I had these in, in, in high school. But I said to myself, man, I spent i I'm never throwing this out. This is a reminder of my stupidity. I would never ever throw this out. And 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 Juan, where's Juan? So Juan, come here, stand up for me real quick. Yeah, yeah, that's Juan. How tall are you, Juan? Six feet? He's six feet tall. I'm five five, but my license is five six. Don't judge me. So so he comes to my house. He, I'm like, you playing football? And you know how Juan talks? No. Nah. I'm like, why not? I'm going, you don't got no clothes? I'm bringing a closet to me. I'm like, you need sneakers? You need some pants. And I went to my closet and I pulled out these 38-38 jeans. That's what they were. Because we had to wear them baggy back in the day. And tell me why they were baggy on this dude. Like, you know, I was messed up. And nowadays, kids walk like this because they can't even, I can't wear those skinny jeans. If you're wearing, God bless you. I'm not hating on you. I can't shop at Express for shoes. I mean, for, for clothes. I can't do it. Just sweaters. That's it. And all the thick fellas said, amen. H&M, like once it gets down to the waist, they hate us. You know, all those places, they hate us. We have to go to Burlington and get the ones that didn't make the cut because they made them too big by accident. They have your size over there, short and fat. I'm telling you. I know. But remember when that was cool. What, what I got next? I have a few more. Remember, remember this, like the lugs? Remember when lugs were like, y'all, y'all remember that WWE was pushing lugs like they were cool? What we got next? I think I have one more, don't I? Oh, my God. Fellas, y'all quiet. Y'all, y'all had every single matching one because everybody wanted to be like somebody. And you had the red ones and the blue ones and the ladies had their bandanas. Yo, look at somebody next to you and say, things change. I think I have one more, if I'm not mistaken. I think I have one more. Who in the world? Now, I don't know if this ever hit Bridgeport, but if it did, y'all should be ashamed of yourselves. Some of the old folks are like, I don't know about, what's that? Wearing your clothes backwards? That's the last picture, right? That's the last one? I got... Oh t- yes, yes! I had to go here. Remember when it was cool to wear black lipstick? Some people still think it's cool. Remember when everybody had it like they had walking death on their face? Uh, that's my last one, right? Thank you so much, sir. I almost forgot that one. I almost forgot that one. We could take that down. Put a logo or something. I just backslid. Ugh. I just Jesus. Yo, we go through all types. All types of changing patterns in life. We go through all types of changes in our life. Amen. You go through all types of different fads and styles. But there's, there's two things in life you can count on 100%. Two things that you can always count on. The first one is this. The first one is that things will change. Situations change. Marriages change. People change, kids change, styles change, computers change, cars change. Everything changes. But here's the second thing you can always count on. If you're taking notes, write this down. The second thing you can really, really count on. God will never change. Among the things that God has an inability to do is change. Micah chapter 3 Verse 6, or rather Malachi 3, verse 6, for I the Lord, I do not change. I do not, somebody say, Do not. I don't change. Paul writes in Hebrews 13:8, he says, Jesus is the same, and Jesus is God, yesterday, today, and forever. I love how James expresses the immutability of God in. James 1 he says every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation there is no other Jesus except the one scripture talks about there's no variation to God there's no change in God and there is no shadow in God meaning there's never a part of God that is not accessible to his people There's no shadow of God. There's never a part of God that's covered up. There's never a part of God that's changing or different. You can never, ever see a different type. You ever dealt with somebody and then you saw their true colors? That'll never happen with God. Because God only knows how to show his true colors. This is called, in theology, one of his attributes is called the immutability of God. You heard me say that word a lot in the past, probably. Immutability. That means God's unchanging Status. He'll never, ever change. That means without ability to change. God always sees everything as he always did. Let that sink in. Everything God sees, he saw it as he always did. It'll never change. That's why no matter how much you do, God will always love you the same because he looks at you from what he sees, not what you see. In God's immutability lies this great source of comfort for us, church. For the believer, the fact that God doesn't change his mind, his characteristics, his plan, or anything else is a security better than any earthly insurance for it guarantees the quality and the character of our God. In the midst of any circumstance, in the midst of any time or present age, it gives us peace knowing that God will never, ever change. It gives us security in our salvation, knowing that if he saved one of us, that saved person will persevere to the end because God has chosen him to be saved. He will not change his mind about you. He won't let you slip through his grasp into the breaches of hell. No, God neither changes his plan, his covenants, his prophecies, nor his justice. God never changes his justice. His need to do right, his need to be right, to be good, to be God. Come on, somebody think this over in your life, how dependable God is. God is dependable. God is someone you can lean on. But here's the truth. Knowing now that God never changes, and knowing now as a church that God will never, ever, ever change, it should put a burden on us As believers, as humans, we're accustomed to changing things and patterns, but we serve an unchanging God. And how are we to serve an unchanging God in an ever changing world? Where the gray lines, a gray area rather, seems to be bigger and bigger and bigger, but we serve a God who's black and white. There's no confusion in God's thought process, there's no mistakes. And I want to talk to you for the next four weeks of how to serve this unchanging God. And, and I've asked some of the leaders to, to lift me up in prayer because today won't be easy because today might be a tough pill for some people to swallow. Because I want to talk about today, I've named this talk, but everyone else is doing it. And I want to address the fact that God sees sin as sin the way he saw it when he laid down the foundations of the earth. We read in Romans 12, verse 2, the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest apostles, he says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. He says, but let God transform you into a new person by changing what you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. He says, don't copy what the world is doing. He's writing to this church in Rome, a church he has yet to be at, a church he has yet to visit, and most people think that Paul is writing this letter to kind of lay down his foundational beliefs so that when Paul does visit, they will understand and know what Paul is about. And in chapter 12, Paul says, listen, don't copy what the world does. Rome was an empire in and of itself, but as a city, it was a sinful city They conquered all manner of tribes, and they conquered all types of countries, and when they conquered them, they would assimilate them to their beliefs. So their ways of life. They would bring in their religion, their gods. Through the time of Alexander the Great, a thing called Hellenization and taking over the world where most of the known world at this time had been influenced by the Greek culture and Rome was no different and the Greek culture was filled with sexual sin, corruption, gluttony, adultery, homosexuality, thievery, and all manner of sins. Rome was a cesspool of sin. Everything went in Rome. It was good. It was a capital. You could do whatever you wanted to. And everything was okay. And nobody would look at you wrong if you were doing wrong. Nobody would even think that you were a bad person. But Paul writes to these new converts, these people who've now given their life to Jesus. Maybe they're Roman Gentiles. Maybe they're Jewish people living in Rome. We don't know. But what we know is this. He says, do not copy the ways of the world. Don't conform in the in the KGV. It says don't conform to the customs of the world. In other words, Paul is saying, don't fashion your life in accordance with the times you live in. Don't fashion your life in accordance with what other people say is right if God says it's wrong. Don't fashion and mold your life. Why? Why? Because you are a new creation and any man who is a new creature in Christ. Any man who is a new creature in Christ, if you've given your life to him, you're a new creature. But we're a lot of new creatures in the church today with very old mindsets. We worship God in the same mouth we worship God with, we curse others with. And and Paul says, listen, this should not be, you should not conform to the ways of the world. You should not conform. To conform means to take on the shape. If I had a, a little thing of Play-Doh and I put Play-Doh all around my bottle, it would take on the shape of a bottle. And he says, listen, don't conform, be transformed. The world works from the outside in. God works from the inside out. And this word transform, I told you before, it's where we get the word metamorphosis. It's kind of what happens when the when the caterpillar crawls into a cocoon. A little while later, it comes out like a butterfly. But many of us are stuck in the caterpillar stages, conforming our lives to the ways of the world. When I was a kid, I would ask my dad if I can go to a friend's house or go to a party or go hang out with my cousin or maybe go buy a new pair of sneakers. And, And oftentimes dad would give me a really simple answer and he would be like, no. And I would say, why? And he would say, because I said so. And I would respond by saying, but dad, everyone's going to that party. Everyone has those sneakers. Everyone is doing it. And dad would use the same logic any parent would use. Well, Michelle, if everyone was jumping off of a bridge, would you jump off the bridge? I'm like, no, dad. And Paul Paul Paul's saying to these new baby Christians, his children, these children of God, he's saying, listen, Just because everyone's jumping off that bridge of sin doesn't mean you have to jump off that bridge of sin. Just because everyone's doing it doesn't mean that you have to do it. It seems in today's day and age, if you look across the landscape of even the church, there are too many Christians who have allowed themselves to be conformed to worldly ways of thinking. And we think that God's views of sin has changed, but it is not because Paul, it's clearly saying that we as believers have to change our mind in terms of sin. We have to change how we view sin and how we act towards sin. We need not conform to sinful ways, but rather be transformed by the righteousness and the renewing of God in our minds he says you can change how you dress you can change how you walk you can change who you hang out with but yet if you don't think differently and you don't think right and think according to the word of God you're going to still be living in sin you're going to still be doing wrong you're going to still be displeasing before God Church, transformation takes place from the inside. In other words, he wants you to change everything from the heart and from the mind. Don't get stuck in a caterpillar stage when God is calling you to be a butterfly, to be beautiful, a new creation, breaking out of the bondages that held you. God wants you to be new. I preach to you, John. Amen. Amen. How does Paul say we must change? He says by renewing our minds, by renewing our hearts and minds. If you would renew the mind and fall out of love with sin, if you would renew, somebody say, my mind. Yeah. If you would run from all sin, not the sins you don't want to deal with anymore, but run from all of them. Church, you can't take the pieces of scripture you want and apply them to your life and reject the rest. If you're going to take one piece, you got to take it all. Here's my first point today. God hasn't gone soft on sin. God's not soft on sin. No, church, he's not. There seems to be this prevailing mindset that in this culture we live in and society, that maybe Jesus has changed about sin. Maybe God thinks differently, but no, that couldn't be further from the truth because God can't change. And so if God despised it and called things abominations back then, they still are disgusting to God today. Yeah. You mean, Pastor, God might be displeased with some of the actions of my life? Well, yes. We seem to have this mindset that the church accepts everyone. And we do. But we don't accept everything. The church of Jesus Christ has to stand for something. You have to stand for righteousness. And just because some sins are socially acceptable does not make it right. Are you hearing me, church? It doesn't make it right. Either you accept God's word, the Bible, as his inherent truthful word, or it's reduced to a book of good sayings and proper things that'll make your life better if you want to follow them written by man. But if you accept it as the inspired word of God, then you're accountable to every word that you read. And you're accountable to everything God says in your life. We can't compromise to be comfortable. God's word is the ruler by which we should measure our lives in church. I hate to say this, but sin is sin. Another prevailing mindset in the church is that we're under grace. We're not under the law anymore. I'm under God's grace and we go out sinning however we want and then we we jump back into the falls of God's grace and we wash ourselves off and we compromise God's grace and we use God's grace as a cheap shower for our dirty sins but Martin Luther, a great church father and a great reformationist he called this cheap grace. Grace that doesn't mean nothing. Grace that doesn't suit your heart. It doesn't really change nothing. It's an excuse. But real grace frees you. Accepting the grace of God, the fact that you don't deserve to be saved, but he, did, he saved you anyways. When you accept that grace and you get a revelation of God's true grace, sin won't be appeasing to you anymore. Sin won't appeal to you anymore. This thought process of cheap grace eliminates the need for the believer to live holy. It eliminates the need for the believer to live righteous when we just take a shower in God's grace. And we say, oh God, forgive me, I messed up again. Church, don't take advantage of God's grace. God hasn't gone soft on sin. Romans 6, 1 says this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, for how can we who have died to sin live in sin? How can you die to something but live in it? It's like a man who divorces one wife and then gets into a relationship with another, but still has sex with the ex-wife. Either you're dead to it or you're not. Mm, that that kind of just makes more sense now. Yeah, you can't cheat on God like that. Either you're dead to it, or you're alive to sin. The law that I refer to is the law of Moses church. It's the, not just the Ten Commandments, but even furthermore, all the do's and don'ts and all the sacrificial and ceremonial laws. And yes, although we are not under that law anymore, it doesn't make the law obsolete. The Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not have any graven images. It says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. It says, you shall not covet. Does it make those things okay because we're not under the law? Now should we do as ever we please because now we're under grace? Church, no. For Isaiah says this, or rather Jeremiah, the the, the Lord gave him a revelation. And Jeremiah says in verse 31, 33, for this is the covenant, the new covenant of grace that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I'll write it on your heart. It's no longer about the stone tablets. It's no longer about the written law. It's the things that are on your heart. Yeah, I don't know about you, but when I step outside God's will, my heart hurts because God's law is written on my heart, church. When I see someone hurting because of sin, it hurts my heart. Why? Because God's law is written on your heart. When you accept Christ as your Savior, the laws of God are now written onto your heart and your conscience. And when you're about to sin, the Holy Spirit talks to you. He says, don't do that. But we ignore the Holy Spirit. I wish I had an honest church today. We push that voice to the side and we fulfill sinful, lustful desires. I told you before, I'll tell you again, most sin is legitimate needs being fulfilled in illegitimate manners. Most sin is something you need, It's something you crave for, but it's not the right time or the right place. And God is saying, don't partake of those things. See, this law, no man could keep it. No man could do it. So God sent his one and only son, Jesus. This is the gospel of grace, that Jesus would live a perfect life. He would never sin. He would fulfill every aspect of the law. And because of what he did, God credited to all of us as righteousness. I love how Paul puts it in Romans five nineteen. He says, for as by the sins of one man, talking about. Adam. Adam, the one man, sinned and disobedience. He he had disobedience in his heart. The many, meaning all the world, were made sinners. Because of him, we were all born with sin. And God says this, so by the one man, Jesus, his obedience, the many, the world, become righteous. You follow me here today? I'll slow down. Adam sinned. We all became sinners. Jesus got it right, and we all have a chance to accept the grace and righteousness of God. In light of that, It tells me something. If the law is not my heart, it means this, that God hasn't gone soft on sin. You know why God hates sin? He killed his son. Yeah. The Bible says that he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God. You get that? It says that you might be the righteousness of God. Are you living up to that qualification, living righteously and living holy before God? Are you hearing me, church? Murder is still wrong. Coveting is still wrong. Gluttony is still sin. It doesn't matter if the world accepts it. It doesn't matter what they call it. It doesn't matter if they call it a disease or anything else. It is wrong. And 1 Peter 1.16 says, you should be holy for I, God, I am holy. And Hebrews said, without holiness, no man can see God. Come on, church. Are you living right before God? Are you living holy before God? Am I saying you never mess up? No. I'm talking today about people who have a lifestyle of sin and you knowingly, uh, continuously live in this sin. God is trying to call you out into freedom. He's trying to call you out of bondage. He's trying to call you into his grace, into his mercy, because the bondage of sin is heavy. But the gift of grace is not a heavy burden, church. It's not a heavy burden. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It doesn't matter what the world accepts. What does God accept? I'll be honest, the world accepts homosexuality, but God says it is an abomination. Other churches might accept it, but in this church, what God says prevails. Other people, I see a lot of Christians saying, well, love is love. Well, love is not love if God calls it lust. Church, be careful what you put your stamp on because you're going to pay account to God. Church, we're going to pay account to God for everything we say and everything we do. When Jesus met with the woman at the well in Samaria in John chapter 4, he came upon a woman who was living with a man who wasn't her husband, and he called her out in sin. Listen, living with someone before marriage is still sin. Having sex before marriage is still wrong. Having adultery is still wrong. Pornography is still wrong. God has not gone soft on sin. Just because the world accepts it, drunkenness is still a sin. Church, you should avoid every appearance of evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.22. There's a a call to live holy before God. Don't jump into sin if you're jumping into God. Oh, pastor, that's really tough, man. You're preaching some really hard things. and I don't know if I can accept it. If you don't, I don't know if God can accept some things too. I'd rather tell you the truth than a sugarcoated lie that'll take you straight down the wrong path. The old saying, the truth hurts. It doesn't hurt when Jesus is involved because he'll set you free from that foolishness. You might say, pastor, pastor, but, but I don't know how I feel. It, here's the thing. It doesn't matter what we feel because when we put what we feel above what God feels, then you elevate yourself above God. But what God says on a topic, you see, either we're going to take the whole scripture or we should take none. What does God say about that? What does God say about sin? I might not be popular after today, but I'm going to sleep well tonight knowing that God is honored in what I'm saying. Listen, listen, one day's going to come. One day will come where Pastor Lewis is going to stand before God. And according to scripture, I'm going to hold account to God for everything I ever said and everything I ever taught. And I pray that when I stand before God, I can say, Lord, I taught your unadulterated word. I preached your word, Lord. I preached it with truth and authority and power. And I did not sway to the left or to the right because what you said in your word guided what I say. Drunkenness is still a sin, church. Hating people is still a sin. God has not gone soft on sin. He's made a way out of sin. He's not gone soft on sin. You should flee from sin. Even the appearances of evil. One of the greatest scriptures is 1 Thessalonians 5.22. Avoid the appearance of evil. Let alone evil. Avoid it. Church, avoid it. I tell you these things not to pass judgment on you, but because a good shepherd warns his sheep before they fall off of a cliff. My daughter, she's half angel, so I only have her half time because she has to spend a lot of time with heaven. But um, my daughter is like the perfect little girl to me in my eyes, but every now and then she has her walker now, and she runs around in her walker. She follows me all over the house, but sometimes she gets distracted by things that are on her level. Stuff like, My ring that she had in her mouth this morning. (laughs) Stuff like the remotes that she can grab. But every now and then, my little daughter will run to an outlet. This is before my wife was smart enough to put on all the little little safety things. And she would start playing and sticking her finger there. And I yelled at her, Aria. And she's like, what? Like, what are you doing? I'm like, no. And she's like, didn't even care. And I had to go over there and I had to physically pick her up and remove her and say no. She was at a dishwasher one day when I had it open. And see, on the rug, she can get through fine. But when she's on tile, she flies like a Corvette. She goes. Her little legs just kick. And she got to a knife before I could even stop her. And she grabbed the handle and I took it and popped hand and I said, no. No one would say that I'm a bad parent if I stopped her from hurting herself. I'd be a bad pastor if I talk about sin. And God's a bad God when he corrects us, isn't he? No, the Bible says he's a loving God and a loving father disciplines the ones he loves. Listen, God has not gone soft on sin. We've just accepted the world's view of sin. It doesn't matter who's doing it. My father never cared about that. Father caught me smoking cigarettes in the back porch one day. He said, what are you doing, moron? I said, smoking. He said, Felipe, he said, if God wanted you to smoke, he would have given you a chimney. And I said, I made the, I made, I made the smoke come out my nose. And, and he said, that's not what I'm talking about. I said, Daddy, it's fine. It's cool. It's whatever. He said, it's not cool. It's not whatever. He said, that's an addiction God saved me from. Don't jump into it. Don't jump into things that God's trying to save you from, church. Don't jump into things that God has pulled you out of. God hasn't gone soft on sin, I promise you. He wants you to avoid sin. Church, I tell you these things that you might come closer to God. And maybe some of you are here, and you're saying, Pastor, listen, I came into church living with someone. I came into church with some of these things, and I don't judge you. That's not my place. And for you, I say this, while you're in that mess, Stay away from sin. Avoid the appearances of evil. Do whatever you can. Do whatever it takes. Honor God with your life. Because when you honor God with your life, he honors your life. God can't bless relationships unless it goes under the blueprint he has for you. He can't do it, church. He won't do it. And all the blessings you've received up until now are simply the grace of God. Oh, but could you imagine if you got things right? Could you imagine, if you think life is good now, could you imagine how greater it would be under the fullness of God's blessing? Under the fullness of God's grace. Living right, doing things the proper way. Let me tell you something. There is joy in living holy. There is joy in serving God. I tell you the truth, church. God has not gone soft on sin. You're not alone today dealing with some of your sins. Many deal with sins. There might be some teachers and preachers out there who never talk about sin, but I can't be that person because I want to be relevant to what's dealing with your life. God has a formula and a plan for your life. Here's my second point. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Amen. Here's my second point. There's no right way to do wrong. I don't care how you slice it. There's no right way to do wrong. When I stand before God, I I will have no excuses. He won't buy into any of my stories as to why I did it or to why it was okay. When you stand before God, I want to say, Lord, I ran from sin. I didn't always succeed. I had a couple of down days. I cussed a few people out, but I wasn't living in it, Lord. I wasn't purposely just going full blast into sin. There's no right way to do wrong. I don't care how much you love God and pray. Sin is still sin. You should run from sin. I need you to understand something. I'm not talking about days you might have a down day and you might mess up. I'm talking about the lifestyles of sin, the addictions to sin, the constant struggles with the same thing, the sensual sins, the premarital sex sins, all the pornographic sins, the addictions, the gluttony, the gossiping spirits, the arrogance, the spirit of pride, all those things that you live in. That you've been saved 10 years and still got the same spirits messing with your household. Because deliverance hasn't come in. Because we want salvation. Most of us don't love God. We hate the idea of hell. And so we do whatever it takes in our minds to stay close to God. But can I ask you a question today? Is your Jesus plastic? Would it stand in the fires? Or would it melt away when tough times come? Is your Jesus plastic church. There's no right way to do wrong. We all mess up. Pastor messes up. I sin. I sin daily. We all do. I'm not preaching here because I'm perfect. I'm preaching because I'm submitted to God. It always Satan will always come and tempt you. He'll never leave you alone. But there's no right way to do wrong. If I took a page from my Bible, ripped it out, and rolled the blunt, it doesn't make it holy weed. Right? Isn't that funny? But then when someone corrects your relationship, because it's sinful, but I love them. It doesn't make it holy. Doesn't make it right. Laugh that one off. There's no right way to do wrong. And I tell you these things because I love you dearly. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. What keeps me up at night? There's days where I wake up at 3 in the morning burdened for people. My heart weighs heavy, and I just get before God. I'm like, God, why? Sometimes I avoid the burden. I try to maybe look on Facebook or play with my phone or play a game, and God's like, no, I'm burdening you for people. I have a series coming up called The Confessions of a Madman, and I talk about four things that I really struggle with in my life, past, present, and future. Maybe not this year, but next year is the same series. I want to preach about how my greatest fear in life is that most of you won't make it. Not that I believe that, but that's the greatest fear Satan puts in my heart. That most folks don't get it. That we don't see God. We don't see what we're supposed to be doing righteously. But here's the truth. That God not only loves you, but he has made a way for you to escape these sins. And you may think it's impossible, but it's not. It might be hard, but it'll be worth it. Because there's no right way to do wrong. Don't fool yourself, church. There's no right way to do wrong. I preach this because I believe that God has granted you the strength and the ability and the grace and the power to turn from sin and I know this because I turned from sin. I used to be a pothead. I used to be engaging in fornication. I used to be engaging in premarital this and this and that. I used to deal with pornography. I dealt with all that. I dealt with a spirit of gluttony and I had a purging problem for years. I would purge my food after I ate. I would load up and just purge. I, I had a spirit of gluttony attacking my life. I dealt with all these things. I'm telling you, I know what I'm talking about. God can do it. If he would save a lowly person like me, he could save you. He could save any one of you. There's no right way to do wrong. Arrogance says, oh, it's 2015. We're in the new millennium. But God says, I never, ever change. Oh, my God, it's the year 2015. Get with the times. And God says, my return is sooner than it's ever been. And when I come, how am I going to find you? When I come, how will I find you? Will I find you free? Will I find you in the same mess that I first found you in? One of my favorite songs is called Hair in My Life by Hillsong. And it's, it's in the chorus, it says, you are my freedom. Jesus, you're the reason I'm kneeling again at your throne. And I love that song because it just reminds me of every time I get before God, I, I remember why, why I am there. Because if I was not on my knees submitted before God, I'd be on my feet running back to the world. Take time to seek the Lord, church. Take time to renew your mind. And some of you today might be confronted with things that God wants you to change. You might be confronted with massive, big things that God is saying, this doesn't honor me. And you may say, I don't even know if I can do this. Some of you may feel discouraged right now, but that's a lie of Satan right now. Because there is grace and there is love from the throne emanating for you today to get things right. You may say, I can't do that. But I would say, but Jesus can help you. Yeah, you cannot do it, church. You have to have God. Because if you could do it, then why would God have ever sent his son? I don't know about you, but every day I need Jesus more than I did the day before. Why? Because Satan saw that what he did yesterday didn't work, so he doubles up the next day. And then he triples up. Then he goes over and goes harder and harder and harder against my life. There's only one way to do right, and that's God's way. There's only one way to honor God, and that's according to Scripture. I encourage you, brothers and sisters, don't live another day in the sin that he's calling you from. Don't live in the things that God hates. I always say this, and I'll keep on saying it that the day I stop preaching. It's a scary thing to love the thing that God hates. It's a scary thing to be in love with things that God will destroy one day. It's a scary thing. Here's my last point. It's kind of, kind of funny, but... It's whatever. I thought about this this other day. and I, Here's my last point. I'll just give it to you. Ain't no bootlegging over here. <laughs> Ain't no bootlegging over here. Pastor, what are you talking about? Ain't no bootlegging over here. This is what Paul says. Don't copy <laughs> the world. Yeah, Paul says, don't copy the world. Don't copy the world. In the KGV, he says, no longer conform to the ways of the world. Don't do it. He says, don't do it. He says, don't copy, but be the real thing for God. You can be like the world and bootleg your walk with God. And you can live like hell, but love the heaven and love God, but live however you want. And that's what you call a bootleg Christian. I'm not talking about hypocrites because I think that all of us at some time, at some point, we're all hypocritical until God teaches us. We, we can all be a little hypocritical. But I'm telling you, don't live in a way that doesn't honor God and say you love God. Yeah, don't do that. You know, I thought I knew about love, and when I got married, I got a crash course on what real love was. Because I would do things to my wife and she would, she would get so hurt by it and I would feel so bad. But then I would do it again and again. And she'd be like, but Lewis, if you love me, you wouldn't do these things because they hurt me. And I'm like, oh, That makes a little bit of sense. If you, if you loved me, you wouldn't do these things. And I, I don't understand where it became okay to hurt God and not really care. But to treat people better than we treat God. Don't imitate the world. Be like Jesus. Don't imitate the behaviors and the customs of the world. Be ye holy. For God is holy. Yeah, that's what God wants. He wants a church that will renew their mind through prayer and fasting and reading the word if you ever read the Bible, don't just read the parts that agree with your life. I would challenge you to read the parts that challenge your life. And they try to make you be better. They try to make you change. And don't be a person that hears the word and doesn't do the word. Psalms 119 verse 11, the psalmist writes, I have hidden your words in my heart that I might not sin against you in your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Pastor, how am I going to walk away from all these sins? How am I going how, how to do that? Like Some of these things really got me. Some of us have like, changed your whole life to suit your sin. How am I going to do that? You're going to hide God's word in your heart that you will not sin against him if you meditate on God's word when temptation comes when Satan comes you can say that doesn't honor God doesn't honor God because 1 Peter 1:16 says be holy as I am holy Hebrews says without holiness no man can see God I'm not going to do it I'm not going to do it but if you don't know the word you cannot defeat the enemy if you're going to renew your mind Renew it through prayer. Renew it through sound counsel of godly people. Forget what's popular and find out what's proper. Forget what the world says. Yo, what does God say? What does God say about your situations? What does God say about your life? What does God say? i know this is hard i know this is tough but pastor why should i listen to you little man why should i listen to you here's why here's why i'm gonna tell you right now here's why here's why this is it this is, this is for all the cookies this is it because paul writes then meaning after you live after god's heart after you do things god's way he says then meaning afterwards You will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You might find out that the way your life is headed is not where God's called you to. You might find out the people you're attached to are not who God wants you to be with. You might find out the relationships you're in are not the ones that honor God. If you want to know his will, form your life after him, not the world. You will save yourself a lot of heartache. You will save yourself a lot of brokenness. The world will say that you're this. The world will say, oh, you're gay because of that. Oh, you should be like this because you're like that. Oh, it's okay to live that lifestyle. But what does God say? What does he say? Do you care about the one who laid it all down for you? Because what he says is of paramount importance in comparison of what your friends say and what the world says. I don't care what you think about the decisions that I make after God. People might think I'm crazy for the way I live my life but one day I'll stand before him and I will have honored him. I will have done the right thing. Does it mean you're going to be perfect? No! But you can't purposely live in a mistake for the rest of your life. There's a story in Genesis and Abraham God told him you're going to have a son and it didn't happen in the time frame that God had Abraham rather had wanted and so Abraham's wife Sarai she said here take my take my my handmaid my servant and go have a child with her because God said you're going to have a child not me and so Abraham did that and it was probably one of the greatest mistakes of Abraham's life worst mistake ever but he loved Ishmael just because you make a mistake doesn't mean you, you can't love that mistake but then God came and said, listen, I told you, I'm going to give you a son. And I meant through Sarah, Sarai, your wife. And He was like, wow, okay. And then later on that, 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 the same time, a year from then, Sarah had the son and Isaac, the promise was born. Isaac, the promise was born. And the Bible says that after he was weaned, meaning after he stopped breastfeeding, he probably about two to three years old. Ishmael was 13. Isaac was two or three. The Bible says that Isaac, rather Ishmael, began to mock, torture, and bother Isaac. He began to be mean to Isaac because now Isaac was daddy's favorite. And now Isaac was daddy's, the apple of daddy's eye. And daddy seemingly didn't want nothing to do with Ishmael because Isaac was there. And so the Bible says that Ishmael began to bother, bug, and hit Isaac. And that's some of you guys. You've made mistakes all your life, but now you're Isaac. You got saved. You got reborn. You're walking in God's promise, but you've allowed your mistakes to mock your promise. You allow the mistakes of your past to torture your future. Because everything God promised Abraham was really meant for Isaac and although the goodness of of God is this the greatness of God is this is that he loved Abraham so much that he gave Ishmael some of the promise and some of you are okay living in an Ishmael life because you got some of what God said but the fullness rests in Isaac Pastor, what are you saying? God's calling some people to remove the mistakes from your life and to live in the new blessing he's calling you to. that You don't got to spend the rest of the year messing with these things that God doesn't be honored by. The world changes. Your friends change. People around you change. But God and his view on your life never ever changes. We serve an unchanging God. He couldn't change if He wanted to for you. But He loves you so much that the grace He provided for you is true freedom from the sins and the boundaries that hold us. Can I challenge you to make righteous decisions no matter what it costs you? Because what it potentially could cost you is so much more. It's so much more. Come on, just you dance your feet and bow your heads. It's so much more. It's so much more. It's so much more. Come on, would you bow your heads? And nobody's looking around and nobody's watching you and, and it's between you and God. Doesn't matter who you came with, doesn't matter anything. All that matters in this moment is you and the Holy Father that's all that matters there's people who you've been confronted and challenged in today's message some of the things that we've preached about may be applied to your life this is not God assaulting your life it's God shining light on the fact that He loves you so much is offering you a powerful change. Flee from unrighteousness. Flee from sin at every cost. Come on, can I have my prayer team come on up? Flee from sin no matter what it costs you. Let me tell you something today. You might have to just come forward and say, I need you to pray that God gives me the strength to walk away from some things. That God gives me the strength to deal with some issues. That God gives me the strength. You have two choices. You can reject everything I say and guess what? I will love you nonetheless and I will still care about you. And I will still preach to you and I will still be your friend. But if God is saying you got some things, you got to change. That's right. The altar is open. You don't have to wait for nobody. The altar is open. If you got some things that God is saying, this is wrong. And I want to challenge your life. And I want to make you over. I want to make you over. I want to draw you back to me because it's so important that you are close to me. Come on, if that's you, you're making your way to the front saying, Pastor, I got things that I want to change because I want to live in a way that honors God. Because honoring God is more important to me than anything in this world. Because one day, I'll spend the rest of my life with Jesus. And will the things in my life that he pulls out will they honor God come on, come on if that's you, you're making your way to the front the altar is open for you today you don't have to sit in your seat broken God says no we'll lift you up in prayer we'll join you together we'll bring you back to the Father we're saying God, God, God I can't take one more day living in this mess that I'm in you called me for something greater I don't care what drove you to make those decisions, church. What does God say? What does God say today? Come on, as the worship team takes over, if you're in your seat, come on, and you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're lifting your hands, you're praying for people.